Good day, everyone. You're listening to Time for Your Hobby, and this is episode 53, Eye of the Jaguar. I'm your host, Alex, and today I have the honor to have Ziegler as my guest on the show. How are you doing today? Hey, thanks for having me here. I'm, I'm excited to be here and uh, excited to chat. Yeah, I'm excited for this conversation as well. Right before we started the podcast interview, he showed me his outfit, which is pretty cool. I have I had so many questions to ask him, but I had to restrain myself to save it for the podcast. So I'm doing that because I want my answers to be genuine and and exciting. Yeah, I just want this. I'm excited for this one. So before we jump too deep into your hobby, which we haven't mentioned yet, who is Ziggler? Ha. Well, I'm a I'm a 31 year old guy. Uh, I live here in uh, the northern Chicago suburbs here in Illinois. Uh, professionally, I'm a marketing writer for an insurance company. I've got you know a number of hobbies that perhaps are, are a little more by the book. You know, I, I write a little. I play a lot of golf, sports in general. But certainly, there's there's one hobby that that uh, I'm into that perhaps is. A little more unique than than all the rest, and I'm excited to be here to talk about it today. So I think we put people on hold long enough. What is this hobby you're going to talk about? I am a fursuiter, a member of the furry fandom who particularly partakes in the practice of dressing in a full-body animal costume from time to time to role-play as a fictional anthropomorphic animal, in my case, a jaguar. And how did you get introduced to it? I guess the going going all the way back is even since I was a little kid, I was always, you know, particularly drawn to any story in which and any fictional world or narrative in which the characters were um, animals, sentient animals, talking animals of of any sort. You know, were worlds like Redwall stories, like Animorphs, um, anything, you know, movies like the Disney's Robin Hood or the Lion King, anything where the world of sentience wasn't only constricted to humans, but there were, you know, this, this menagerie of cool looking creatures and, and other beings, intelligent beings that matched that, that were much more visually interesting and fluffy and just cool in that particular way. Was there one show that just started it all for you? Like you saw this TV show or movie because you're saying Disney did it. There's a bunch of TV shows where they had talking animals. Was there like that one that said, wow, I'd love to like, in, like integrate that into my life? I think the big thing was that I was very hardcore into the Sonic the Hedgehog fandom when I was a uh, when I was in, in middle and high school in particular. Uh, People are many people are familiar with the games, but there was actually a significant expanded universe of um, of TV shows and especially comics that I just I absolutely devoured. I kind of got lost in the characters. I, I wrote a lot of fan fiction, and I was just very very interested in this you know colorful world of anthropomorphic animals. And um, you know, so for for a long time, I was kind of peripherally aware that there was a fandom based around this, but it was something that I kind of resisted for a really long time. And, uh, you know, it was maybe a couple of years out of college, I finally started dipping my toe in it and discovered that it really was a place where I felt like where, where I fit and where I could meet a lot of kindred spirits. And it was really cool for me to actually engage in this and participate in this world. The fursuiting it, itself, um, you know, because obviously I'd already I'd always been interested in these characters, characters of this type. But to take the you know the leap to to the full body costuming thing was something that 
I, I only did after um, trying it once or twice. And I just, the, the first time I think I did it was at, of all places, a, a Little League World Series baseball game where kids were, were playing. And we had a, I was at a convention that was very, that was nearby. And we showed up just for fun to see if we could get, uh, I borrowed a costume from a friend just to see if we could get on ESPN. And when we, sh- because it was, it was broadcasting. And when we showed up, you know, just everybody just went nuts. Like, you know, all of a sudden there were mascots at the game and, and the kids loved it. And there were like parents yelling for us to come and uh, be in the stands with them and cheer on their team. And it was all of a sudden we were the most popular people at this thing. And the, the kids were loving it. And then the, t- the team we ended up going over to, to cheer on, to join their parents ended up going on like a 10 run streak. And so all of a sudden we weren't just the mascots, we were the lucky mascots. And, you know, we were getting high fives and people were taking photos with us. And it was, it was a very hot day. It was about 90 degrees and we ended up suffering for a while, but it was some of the most, the most fun I've ever had. And I just remember that experience in particular convinced me that this is something I want to do more of, you know, play this character, be this interesting, bizarre, serendipitous thing that you know people want to gawk at take a photo of give a high five and just tell people that they saw the strangest most unique thing that it sort of it sort of combined my love of theater i was always into performance and and being a character with that sort of draw that i'd always had towards fantasy worlds that included anthropomorphic creatures and the first shooting just blended the two perfectly and after that first time, I just knew I had to have my own costume and this had to be something that I did. That's awesome. I love how you brought like a positive aspect to it and people just wanted to celebrate with you. And it's, I feel like every time you wear it, there's like positive energy that just comes out every single time. It, it really is. I mean, he's got a, he's, he's got a permanent smile, so that's <laughs> to be sure. Um, but I can tell you that underneath the mask, I, I'm pretty much grinning nonstop whenever I'm, I'm doing it as well, because it's just... It is endless, nonstop fun. In fact, sometimes I have to, I have to remember that if I'm posing for a photo, for instance, that the huge grin I have on under the mask actually doesn't change anything <laughs> from the actual visual. It's like me right now, smiling. No one's seeing this, but I'm smiling. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know you. I know your pain. I know your pain. Uh, this might be a weird question, but I don't know if you thought of this. Um, is there a microphone inside the suit where you can have like a voice modifier? So you're, you have a specific voice for your character? You know, um, it's, it's actually, it's not a weird question at all. It's, it's an excellent question. I do not have anything like that, um, primarily because when in suit, I usually don't talk um, or I, I endeavor not to. Some people are better at it. Uh, I'm not. And this is, it's, it can be a personal choice. I generally think that that a sort of a disembodied voice that doesn't match any sort of lip movements can somewhat be jarring and uncanny and, and break, you know, whatever sort of magic illusion is being portrayed by the mascot. That's why most mascots, your Disney World mascots, your athletic mascots, they won't talk either. But it, this is something that can really vary from person to person. There are people who have, you know, uh, mouths on their fursuit heads that are synced to their own chins. So the mouth actually moves when they move their own mouth. I'm not sure I've ever heard of anybody with a voice modifier, but there are people who certainly um, adapt a different voice to their character. So if they speak while in costume or in character, they will adopt a different voice 
from their own. I think one thing that I, I do want to, you know, basically make clear at an at an early point in this is that while I'm here to talk about some of my own experiences and, and what bursuiting means to me. But it's really a thing where if you ask 100 people, you will get 100 different answers. And really, it's it's something that means something different to everybody. And it's something where everybody gets something different out of it and has different practices, different ways they behave, different um, things that they get out of it. And uh, yeah, that's completely fair. And it actually is a great segue to my next point that you ended up choosing to be a Jaguar or having the persona of a Jaguar. And I'm sure there's thousands and thousands of different types of these fursuiting costumes or outfits. So um, my question to you is, how did you end up choosing becoming a Jaguar? Well, it's, it's a little bit of a long story. When I was in um, high school, I was I was working on sort of a story, a novel, I suppose. It never ended up going anywhere, but I wanted to make it about shapeshifters. I was always very intrigued by shapeshifting fiction, but I didn't want to write the millionth werewolf book. As, as cool as as wolves were, there were just werewolves were kind of played out. So I thought, what could you know my characters turn into that would be more unique? You know, and a creature that perhaps hasn't been played out so much across popular fiction. And when I did a little bit of research. I discovered that these Mesoamerican cultures from, you know, times way gone by, the the Mayans, the Aztecs, the Olmecs, those cultures, a lot of them had this perpetual myth of the the man jaguar, the were jaguar, as it was. And it got me thinking about the critters being like, this is a creature that is somewhat underappreciated. Um, they don't play as much in our popular culture. People think of tigers, sure. When people see a spotted cat, they probably think of a leopard or a cheetah. But the jaguar is, you know, people think of the car. That's what they think of when they hear jaguar. If you go into Google and search jaguar, you're probably going to get, you know, five or six results for cars for every result for an animal. So I thought, well, okay, this is a, a critter that's sort of flown under the radar. So I made the jaguar the focus of my story. I did a lot of research. And the more I learned about them, the more I learned about their history in, in those um, Central American cultures, the more I learned about their behavior and the things that are make them particularly cool, their solitariness, their swimming power ability, their bite force, which is a really cool thing, the complexity and uniqueness of their coat patterns. There was just so many things that I, I found to love. And so that always that sort of became my totem animal as it was. And so when it came time for me to choose a character for myself, the choice was pretty obvious. Other people will say that they pick characters or creatures that match their personality in some way. For me, it's actually kind of the opposite. A jaguar is a solitary creature, a very antisocial one. I generally think of myself as a more gregarious person, kind of outgoing and bubbly. So I'm I'm the outgoing, gregarious, and bubbly jaguar. You don't doesn't always have to make perfect sense. It's just whatever you want it to be. Exactly, it's whatever makes you happy. And when you said uh, mentioned jaguar, the first thing that came to mind was Mowgli from the Jungle Book. That's every time somebody says jaguar, that's the first jaguar that comes to my mind. Well, wait a minute. How does that come to mind exactly? Because uh, I grew up watching the Jungle Book, and Mowgli was like the caretaker and. He was, he was a, like the Jaguar. Alex, <laughs> Alex, buddy. Mowgli was the kid. Oh, <laughs> what was the, what was the Jaguar's name? Actually, uh, the, the, the cat's name was Bagheera. Bagheera. But Bagheera wasn't a Jaguar. Bagheera was a leopard because Kipling set the jungle book in India. 
Jaguars don't live in India. Leopards live in India. Jaguars live in Central and South America. Obviously, I have done my research and failed miserably. <laughs> oh, okay, all right. Now, you know what? I don't feel embarrassed because I don't get embarrassed. That's uh, I'm going to keep that in. And uh, yeah, but the same idea. Well, I, I was that confused. That's kind of my point. But but that kind of matches my point. People, it was. It's not necessarily a critter that people know a lot about. If you talk about lions, people know that lions live in Africa. But people don't even necessarily know what continent jaguars live on. So I decided it's a cool, powerful visually striking animal that kind of flies under the radar in the popular imagination unless you are either into luxury cars or live in the city of jacksonville all right so uh everybody just heard here that i'm a fool and i've got educated <laughs> which is fine I, you know what this is a learning process this is a big reason why i decided to do this so i can learn um but yeah this actually is also a good segue for learning on the backstory of your character so you just explained how you came to create the character, but I'm sure there's a story of Ziggler, like his background or her background or their background. Mm -hmm. uh, actually, this is one where I have to confess not that much. Um, there are certainly friends and other people in the fandom who have constructed elaborate backstories for their characters. My character is me if I were an anthropomorphic cat. To be perfectly honest, <laughs> Ziggler does not have an extensive backstory. It's just basically an alternate skin and alternate physicality for myself. I play golf, Ziggler plays golf. Most of the art I have of Ziggler is, you know, him doing stuff that I already do. So he's just sort of my reskin in that way. And when, you know, when I'm in costume, even not speaking, I still feel like I'm I'm mostly being myself. No, I, I get it. I get it. I, I guess I'm the same. Uh, it's like when you go to work, you're yourself, you be yourself. And when you're in front of your friends, your family, you just tweak a little bit of things. But at the core of it, you're yourself. And some people adopt wildly different personas for their characters or they'll have, you know, multiple suits with multiple characters and multiple personas. That's one where I just feel you know, most comfortable being being myself, whether I'm being human or being fluffy. Speaking about suits, do you, is this your first suit or did you have one before this? Ziggler is in fact my first suit. I've worn a couple of others, you know, for sharing suits with between friends is not unheard of in the fandom. It's, it can be fun to, you know, wear different costumes as well. But um, Ziggler is my first. I got him in, I believe, March of 2016. And so I'm going on a little over three years now being a suitor. Wow. And are you planning to keep this suit or are you have plans to get a new one in the future? For now, I am planning to keep it. They they are not cheap, um, especially if, like me, you, you got yours from a high quality suit maker and you happen to have a lot of sewn in rosettes. If you can picture a Jaguar, and I am a spotted Jaguar, a golden Jaguar, not a black Jaguar. Uh, so that means that the suit was was not easy to make because of the intricate design. So, you know, eventually suits do sort of wear out uh, over time. But with good care, you can make them last for a really long time. And I have a lot of incentive to make mine last for a really long time because I like him. I like his look. And uh, so I'm aware that at some point in the future, if this is something I continue to pursue and I see no reason why I wouldn't, I would have to uh, get a new version of him. But for now, uh, I'm trying to make the one I have last as long as possible. 
And I'm, I'm sure once you do, if you do get a new one, you're still going to keep the outfit somewhere, even even mounted somewhere, because you're not just going to throw that away because it has so much good memories. Yeah, exactly. I'm not sure exactly what I'd do with it. I uh, know one of my friends who is is on, you know, his third or fourth version of his suit. And I think he still keeps the the old heads around in various places. I think one of them he mocked up with a different hairstyle and adapted it. So now it's like his alternate head that he can wear so his own character has two different looks so there's there's a lot of things you can do there's a lot of options that just got me thinking if you know your friend maybe he has a head for like every emotion he just switches it on (laughs) (laughs) yeah that would be doable there's uh there's a couple of one thing that does exist is uh little inserts that you can put over the eyes that sort of change it from a happy expression to a fiercer expression like angry eyebrows basically so you can you can do a lot with with things, whatever happens to fit your preference. I don't have that for myself, but because you're not you're not an angry person, you don't need to be angry. No, I'm, <laughs> I, I I don't think I could possibly be angry in suit. It would be tough. No, there is one very important point I actually miss, but I feel like you'd be the pre- best person to explain the difference between both of them. What is the main difference between fur suiting and a furry? That's an excellent question, and it's something that nearly everybody conflates because the fursuits, the the best way to put it is the fursuits are the most prominent attention-grabbing and visually striking element of furry fandom, but they are not the whole. Furry fandom refers to an overall group of people who are simply interested in cartoon or anthropomorphic animals in some way. And um, the definition of anthropomorphic being animals who are like people in some way, characters, like the one everybody might know is, say, Bugs Bunny or the cast of Zootopia. They're animals, but they walk on two legs, they speak like people, they generally act like people except with some human traits. Basically, Anybody who has any sort of vague interest in cartoon animals, anthropomorphic animals, and wants to be a part of the furry fandom can be. There's no litmus test. There is no real barrier to entry. And not everybody who is involved is a fursuiter. Um, Some people are artists. Some people are story writers. Some people are just fans. Um, but the, the people who are particularly drawn to the costuming element will often then take that next step and also get and, and get themselves a fursuit and get into fursuiting. So I think perhaps if you sort of picture the Venn diagram, it would be that basically all fursuiters are furries, but not all furries are fursuits. I've seen different percentages thrown around, you know, 30%, 40% of, of furries might own a suit but it might be less, it might be more. Um, it's certainly not a mandatory thing. If you want to be a part of the fandom, if you want to go to conventions, if you want to go to meetups or just generally hang out. No, no, I see. So yeah, exactly. One can not be the other and the other one cannot be the other. It's a, it's a grand scheme of things. It englobes many things and it kind of Leads to a question later on about misconceptions, but we'll we'll see save that for later. But yeah, oh sure, no 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 no, it's not you. It's uh, I, I do like uh, how you explained it that um, people sometimes just see it through one scope as a general mm-hmm. thing, but in reality, it's much much wider and it englobes so many people, some from all walks of life, which is fantastic. I would say, I mean, I was a furry for three years or so before I ever had my first suit. And I've known people who have been in the fandom for 
20 years and just never got a suit because the idea of walking around sweating to death in a giant colorful carpet did not appeal to them for some reason. <laughs> I know, crazy, what? right? Yeah, exactly. What? What is some nutty people out there, I swear. Would they, this sounds old. This is a stupid question, but are there some, uh, let's say, I think they're helmets or what do they call the, the head part? Do they head, usually heads? heads? We would just call it fursuit head. Okay. Does it, you sometimes have fans in it? I don't know if that's a uh-huh. thing. That's not a dumb question at all because, in fact, there there are. It's it's all a matter of you know expense and room. You have to make the room for it if that's something that you want to add. There are definitely uh, some heads that that have that. There are also some heads that have you know glowing light up eyes or the movable mouths. Like I said, um, accoutrements of that sort are are very popular. Uh, but it's whatever fits the individual person. I don't have a fan in my suit head, but I do own a cooling vest, which I can wear underneath the bodysuit uh, that helps to keep me cool for a little bit longer. Because as you did want to ask, you, you said you wanted to ask about this. <laughs> yes, suiting can get exceptionally hot. And I, I will let you ask about that on your own time. But yes, uh, so so fans, fans are a thing. Ziggler does not have one. My make, the person who made my suit did doesn't really do that and i wouldn't particularly want a little worrying all the time anyway i would kind of find it distracting so i do without but i have other ways of keeping cool it sounds like these suits are becoming more and more customizable it almost sounds like you guys are like the iron man of mascot for suiting so you have like gadgets for everything lighting up eyes that change shape it's actually impressive that the technology has come a really long way even in just the past decade or the past 15 years you know, if you go back and look at what suits were like in, in 2005 and going further back, you know, to when they sort of started in, in the mid 90s, the ones today are, are just have come so far. There are many more options. They're much more form fitting and visually appealing, at least to my eye. And uh, so it is something that is continually evolving and evolving very quickly. Speaking of which, where do you see the future of the actual design of fursuiting as like the actual outfits themselves going? That's an excellent question. And it's perhaps not one that I've thought about as much, but certainly there there would be prospects in the future to, to continue to perhaps make it even look for look more realistic or look more perhaps fluid in the movements. Durability is a big thing as well. I, I should note that there are some people who prefer or, or pursue suits that look as much like a realistic animal as possible, perhaps on two legs, but they have glass eyes, um, more realistic looking colors and um, mouth shapes and such. Those can be a little more expensive. And also because the eyes are made of glass, you don't have as much visibility. You look out through small slits and they can also look a little scarier as well, to be perfectly honest. If you go to a baseball game with kids, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, right. So, you know, you've uh, Ziggler and and what's called sort of toonie suits have wider eyes that look a little bit more like a cartoon mascot. You're looking out actually through the eyes and that's a bit of a friendlier look. But I wouldn't say so. It's not necessarily like they're always going to look more and more realistic. Some people do. Some people prefer to sort of keep that distance from the absolute realism and also preserve a little more vision. 
as I've said, and we'll keep saying it really comes down to individual choice. So once again, yeah, like you're saying, there's two paths and it's perfectly fine, whichever path people take. And it's or a middle road. Yeah, or yeah, the middle road. Have one eye that's realistic and the other one is yeah. big. <laughs> Some, it really is whatever you want. Some people push the tuniness to extremes and have, you know, suits that almost look like, you know, those extremely exaggerated professional sports mascots. And some people get it to the point where if they went down on all fours, you would have a lot of trouble realizing that you're not actually looking at a real wolf. And where would you place yourself, let's say, on a scale from 10 being a real wolf to one being an animated wolf? Where would you fit in that scale? My Jaguar is probably somewhere about a 3.5 on that scale. He is realistically patterned. So his, his spots look a lot like an actual Jaguar's rosettes, but he's got, you know, the big toony eyes and a tuft of brown hair slash crown fur. So I don't think anybody would, would actually mistake me for, for anything real. Certainly there are, there's popularity of, you know, exaggerated colors. A friend of mine who is also a Jaguar is actually, he's getting a, a blue rain, blue rainbow haired spotted Jaguar suit. So it really could be whatever you imagine. Now, you mentioned friends and people that you do this with. How is the community around you for fursuiting? I mean, it's really terrific. It it absolutely is. And it's something that, like I said, I was interested in this, in this for a long time. And I kind of, or, or at least peripherally interested, and I kind of resisted because I really wasn't sure what sort of people were into this. I kind of thought of, I, I, I had the perception that I think a lot of people have, which boy, this must be a real pack of, you know, social rejects and weirdos and what sort of, you know, lunatics would I be getting myself involved with if I ever, you know, ventured into this. And honestly, what, what I found has been by and large, very much the opposite, certainly quirky people, but people with really big hearts and people with a very wide array of interests. Um, I have to say that for a long time, I thought, like I've, I mentioned, I'm also very passionate, very addicted golfer. And I thought that, you know, surely if I were to venture into this, that I wouldn't find anybody to play golf with. No, I've got about 30 people in the fandom who are, you know, either fellow furries or, or fellow fursuiters in our you know, furry golf chat. I have now been on four or five uh, furry golf vacations and I play with, you know, friends in the fandom once, at least once or twice a month. We've got a couple of guys who, if anybody plays golf, are, are you know, better than scratch. A couple of them are top tier amateur competitors. So uh, we've had, you know, we have every sort of slice of life in the fandom we have you know professional lawyers professional doctors some some people who make a lot of money and some people who are just students really though that's the thing that impressed me most that i was shocked about when i entered the fandom is just what a wide swath of the populace it cuts who in addition to all the other things that they are interested in also like cartoon animals and wearing a silly patterned carpet. That's awesome. I, I love So uh, actually, so you've done multiple golf vacations, which is cool. And how often do you do fursuiting per week? Is it like every day or is it like once a week? Because you said the golf is once a, like a month or so or? Oh, well, I mean, I, I play, you know, three or four times a week, but a <laughs> couple about one, once or twice a month, I'll manage to actually play with uh, with with my furry friends as well. The suiting itself is really, and this this might surprise people because I think a lot of people assume 
that it's something that we live in or feel the need to do every day. There may there are some people who probably do wear their suits every day. For me, it's more of a once or twice a month thing. You know, during conventions, which I go to three or four a year, obviously I'll wear a couple times a day for a few days straight because that's what's expected. But on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis, maybe once a month for an event of some sort. So it's really sort of a, a feast or famine thing. It's whatever. And for me personally, I'm not the sort. There are sorts who just like to wear their costume around their house. For me, there's not as much point if there's not somebody else who can see me. <laughs> you know what? You'd be great in Canada during the wintertime, so you would never overheat. It would just <laughs> I mean, Illinois too. I have been tempted. The one time I have been tempted around my house to wear my suit has been, you know, one of these polar vortexes that has come through the last couple of years. It would be, at that point, it would cease to be a silly hobby and turn into survival gear, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. Yeah, no, hey, I, whatever works for you. And I do like the fact that you said it's something you just pick up whenever you're feeling like it. It basically is a hobby, what it is. So it's like this. I pick this up and put it down. I don't do this constantly. You don't do your thing constantly. And it makes us happy. There there aren't as many rules as I think people assume. People assume that there must be some formalized structure of you have to do these things in this order. And it's really nothing like that. It is you do whatever makes you happy, whenever it makes you happy. Exactly. But there is one rule. You put the pants first and then the top and then the head. If you put the head <laughs> first, then it would be pretty hard to put the uh, top first. <laughs> uh, actually, well, uh, actually you, you might be surprised a little bit, but um, you sort of get into the bodysuit, uh, both legs first. But I don't know. That's that's kind of getting into the nitty gritty. <laughs> you don't necessarily need to know how I put the darn thing on. But Is it the uh, left put- leg or right leg first? Uh, I, it could go either, but I will say that I put on my costume to, to borrow an old expression. I put on my costume one leg at a time, just like anybody else. (laughs) Although you're usually putting on pants, not a patterned costume. I I jump in. I just like open up the legs and I do a jump. (laughs) No, extremely (laughs) dangerous. Don't do that. One leg at a time, guys. What was your most memorable moment or event that you done fursuiting? I, I definitely, I'm, I'm really glad you asked this because this gives me a chance to share one of my absolute favorite stories. And it actually came from one of our golf trips. It was our golf trip two years ago that we took to Scotland, which is, of course, the home of golf. And it was a very exciting moment for, for us. Um, and while we were there, we went to St. Andrews, the old course at St. Andrews, which is kind of a, a mecca of golf it is the was basically the oldest course in the world and where a lot of the customs of the game were invented and there there's a famous bridge on the 18th hole there called the swilkin bridge then the swilkin bridge is it's a very popular photo spot the other great thing about st andrews is that on sundays uh it is actually not an open golf course it's just a public park so you see a lot of people out there walking around with their families their dogs so we managed to show up on a sunday and our plan was since it's open since it's a public park we're just going to be able to walk out in our suits and get suit photos you know myself and my eight or nine friends standing on the swilkin bridge on this hollowed landmark of golf in our costumes which was going to be such a cool moment for us and we did it. We actually we pulled it off. We were in our suits, standing there, you know, on this bridge that Tiger Woods and John Daly have walked across to win open championships, uh, to win major championships. And people have retired their golf careers there. And it's like, 
one of the most recognizable landmarks in the sport. And we're standing on it in our costumes getting all these photos. So that was cool in and of itself. What made it even cooler was when this guy, this this crazy Scots guy just comes, he's in this uh, very nice dress up, this, this suit and tie, and he comes racing down the street and he's like yelling, he's like, what is going on? <laughs> this is crazy. This is the coolest thing I've ever seen. He's like this, you know, this 30, 30-something guy. And he's like, this is amazing. So he starts saying he's a member of a club, like one of the clubs that run along these very old and ancient august clubs that run alongside this famous 18th hole. And he sort of considers himself like, I guess I would say a um, – keeper of of the bridge and of the area you know he's he's he knows it super well and so he's like this is the craziest thing i've ever seen i have to get photos so he's hopping on he's getting photos with us he races back and he brings us all beers and straws so we're now we're drinking like heinekens <laughs> through straws on the bridge while we're getting our photos to, to make a long story short he ended up saying you know when you guys are done when, you, when you're done with whatever the hell this is you know um <laughs> Come come hang out at our club for a little while. You know, there's this private club on the 18th hole at the old course at St. Andrews. So we go around for a little while longer in our suits. And when we get out, you know, <laughs> we're wearing sweatpants and, and T-shirts or whatever. But we go ahead. We go over to his club and he, he lets us in. And so and we end up just hanging out with him, having drinks, surrounded by all of this ancient old Tom Morris golf memorabilia. And it was absolutely amazing. He was showing us like where they watched like the open championships and all the tournaments that they have at St. Andrews. And it was just, it was truly magical on both fronts for me because again, it managed to combine like two of my absolute favorite interests. I was wearing my, my, I was doing fursuiting in such a cool place. And I was also somehow that managed to get me access to this privileged private hall of golf lore so it was definitely absolutely the coolest thing that has ever happened to me while suiting that's awesome that he was just so enthusiastic he just he had to run up to you are you still in contact are you still in contact with him today i we actually have him on facebook yeah we have a, he he added us all on facebook everyone who was there so uh yeah he ended up putting the photo of himself posing with the eight or nine of us on the swoken bridge on facebook he was he was just absolutely so happy about it he must have had like the biggest smile on that photo and honestly, when you suit, you come to expect a variety of reactions. And there are going to be, you have to accept that there are going to be some people who just won't have any of it. There's some people who will just say, this is weird. This is gross. Just get away from me. Don't, you know, guide, I don't want anything to do with this. And that's fine. You just, you leave those people alone. You, you let them go about their things. But, and it, to be honest, it is completely dwarfed by the families, the kids, the people who just run up with huge, you know, confused, bewildered smiles. And they're just like, I don't know what this is, but I love it. I I have to get a selfie. I have to get a high five, you know, take a photo with my family, take a photo with my kids. This is just strange and magical and really made my day. We hear that a lot. You know what? As long as you're not hurting anybody and you're doing it to make yourself happy, that's what's most important. Actually, there's a guy in my city who dressed up as Goku from Dragon Ball. It's an anime. <laughs> and he would walk around the city and apparently on Reddit, uh, he gives advice to people. And one day I saw him and I told my wife, honey, I'm going to go talk to Goku. I'm going to go get a photo with him. <laughs> so I run up to him and I tap him gently on the shoulder like, hi. And then he looks at me pauses and then sprints away at full <laughs> speed and i'm just dumbfounded like did i what and my wife's looking at this like what did you say to him i'm like i'm like hey 
And then I'm like, oh my, I, so like in my mind, like, you know what? I scared Goku. Yeah. I'm, I'm a threat to Goku. I'm scary, but no. And then later on, I saw him at the park the same day and I, I approached him like facing him so he could see me coming. Like when my hands up showing I have nothing, just slowly approaching and like, may I, may I take a picture with you? And I took a picture with him and everything was cool. I met him actually last year as well. I said, Hey, I took a picture with you a few years ago and he was happy to take another picture with me. But it was just that moment that made me laugh that he just ran away. That's great that you, you know, that you developed that you're, you're developing relationship with the Goku guy. That's pretty great. A thing that's people tend to find the concept of, of a fursuit more odd than any other costume. But in a lot of ways, it really isn't the it really isn't much different. It isn't much different than a Halloween costume or a Goku costume or a cosplay of any sort that you might find outside comic-con except you know that it's a little bit hotter and a little bit fluffier uh but it really is you know at the end of the day a, a costume that you wear for the same reason that you might take part in a local theater production or or that you might wear a costume of a favorite character from tv or anime except that it's a character you got to make up it's just sometimes it's fun to play as somebody else or to visually be somebody or something else. Yeah, and a perfect example is kids who dress up on Halloween. That's a perfect example. Or adults who dress up yeah, on adults, Halloween. Adults, anybody, yeah. You know what? Who doesn't like Halloween? Yeah, who doesn't like free candy? <laughs> I just got to put on my like... Trick or treat. Just that voice. Yeah. <laughs> Sir, you have a beard. Oh, uh, puberty really hit hard. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, what would you say is the best part about fursuiting for you on a personal and emotional level? I mean, I've already I've already said it, but I'll, I'll never uh, never get tired of saying it. It's it's the reactions. Um, I I just live for doing it for other people. Certainly, other other furs as well around conventions because there's there's appreciation there as well but for me and this this is really a me thing other furries they've seen fursuits before you know it might be very cool and that they might really appreciate yours and they want photos but the greatest enjoyment for me is somebody who is who is not necessarily expecting it who is not used to it who is not necessarily surrounded by this sort of thing on a daily basis and when somebody like that gets gets invested in it wants a photo with me wants you know a high five you know walks away muttering it just like just laughing to themselves and just knowing that they're gonna go home and you know over dinner later that night say i saw the craziest fucking thing today <laughs> and that's just like sometimes i feel like a lot of us we go through our lives you know doing a lot of the same old things sometimes we lose like serendipitous surprises that just completely break us out of the bounds of mundanity and reality and perhaps if, if i can occasionally be that thing that surprise that unexpected that you know story for somebody else the story that they'll be able to tell later then i feel like i've brought something to the world and i feel like i've, I've brought a little something interesting, exciting, and perhaps underrepresented into people's lives. I really like that. I like how you try to bring a little twist, a little change in people's lives to make it better and more interesting. It's like when I was driving back home from work, I saw the DeLorean just driving around. I'm like, whoa. Yeah, right? <laughs> exactly. And you're going you're gonna to tell somebody. You're going yeah. to tell the guy on your podcast later about that. Yeah, I'm going to tell, tell you about it and everybody listening. 
I am certain I have been, you know, your DeLorean for a lot of other people. There you go. So whoever is interested in fursuiting, this is something you could talk about right after listening to this and share it with everybody because it's very informative. And you know what? It makes life interesting when you learn something new and you want to share it with people. Now, what was your biggest challenge when you first started fursuiting? Huh. Well, it, it takes, I mean, first thing you is you have to get a suit. Um, and <laughs> Suits can be expensive. Um, you know, you can buy them pre-made. You can buy uh, pe- ones that others have owned. You don't necessarily need the full head-to-body costume at the start. I mean, some people um, prefer or can only afford what's called a partial, which is just, say, a head, hand paws, feet paws, and a tail, which covering the rest of your body with clothes still presents the illusion that you're an entire anthropomorphic animal. But, you know, getting if you, if you want that the full suiting one way or another, whether you're full suiting or partialing, you need to get a suit to, to, to kick things off. And then you also have to get used to just the suffocating heat of it. <laughs> and it, it is it gets hot fast for, for me in, you know, average, say, 65 degrees, 70 degree room temperature. I can only go for about two and a half hours without my cooling vest before needing to desuit. And at that point, you are, I, I, I hate to admit it, but you're kind of a gross mess under the suit. <laughs> um, you have to definitely then clean it out, spray it with alcohol, wash the whole thing. We wear, most furries will wear under armor under their suits. So that that sort of collects some of the perspiration. But uh, as, as you've mentioned, you expect it would be hot. It is about as hot as you would expect. Some people can go longer. Some people are just superhuman, but certainly getting used to to the feeling of of being in the costume and especially getting used to the heat because you're just it does not let your body breathe one bit is perhaps the most challenging aspect of it. The other aspect is just learning how to interact with people because people behave differently when they encounter somebody in a in a full body costume than they do encountering another ordinary human being you have to learn things like you know etiquette for dealing with kids which is you know most kids will will love it you know they'll come to you for a high five uh, or even a hug but then there will be some who just freak out and if, if they freak out if they start crying you just you get you get yourself away because you do not want you know, any sort of, sometimes they'll just look at you and start crying and you just, you do not want to um, have anything to do with that. So there is sort of a, there, there is a protocol of, you know, how to, how to deal with the public, how to deal with other suitors and just the sort of best practices. Like I said, there's no rules, but you do at some point learn the the best ways to make sure that as many people as possible are still having a good time yourself and the people you're around. Yeah, and I know exactly what you mean about like a kid, uh, when they see you in the costume, they get scared and you just have to back off. When I was in Korea with my wife, I was visiting some of her friends. They had a baby. You see me, I'm not Korean, I have a beard. The moment they look at me, full out <laughs> tears. And like, it was a scream of death. I'm like, okay, God, okay, I just cover my my face and then everybody's fine, everybody's talking. I just lift up to look. Nope, the the cries are back there. Kids under, you know, under five or six, sometimes you can just, it's very difficult to predict how they will respond. I have seen a toddler latch on to a fursuiter so hard that like he just never wanted that suitor to leave. And like he threw the fit of his life when the suitor, (laughs) after 20 minutes, finally had to move on. And I've seen toddlers, you know, hide behind their parents' legs and you, you everything in between. So you, you really can't predict how a kid might respond to a mascot. 
you just sort of have to play it by ear and really work hard to not do anything that would anger a parent. But I think I'm, I'm proud to say that in the three years I've been doing it, I've never actually had a parent be angry at me in any way. Usually they're more angry at their kid for not <laughs> thinking for not thinking that the big Jaguar is cool. Because usually they want me to hold their kid and get a photo. And like the kid is freaked out. They're like, oh, honey, you don't want to go see the kitty? He's going to eat me. <laughs> yeah, yeah the, the, if like, the kid doesn't want it, then you just never know. They saw Discovery Channel way too young. Yeah. <laughs> Your challenge still the same today or did you ha do you have new challenges? Well, I mean, I'm I'm a little more used to the heat now, so <laughs> so that challenge I've uh, I've I've gotten used to. I am starting to hit the point in my suit life cycle where uh, preservation of the suit has become a challenge. As I mentioned, I want to make it last as long as possible, so I've become a little fastidious about cleaning it, trying to keep the white parts white, and uh, and trying to make it last as long as possible. Uh, that's that's something that it maybe like people when they're younger, you think it's going to live forever, but then you start to see little signs of the wear and tear. You get little memento mori's of your suit, and so that has become my uh, my my particular challenge lately, especially if you like me are an idiot and design your character to have uh, white feet paws and a white tail tip that drags on the ground Keep keeping the white stuff white is difficult so sometimes sometimes i wish i had decided to be a, a black jaguar or a uh, a puma uh, that might not have a million spots like that and could get a replacement suit a little less expensive for people to get a visual of the white aspect for suits and the outfit, just think of white shoes. They're impossible to keep clean. <laughs> it is exactly like white shoes, as, as absolutely, 100%. Um, you can keep it clean by using Folex carpet cleaner. That's sort of one of the tricks of the trade. Uh, it gets the same thing out of the faux fur that it does out of carpets. But uh, it can take a lot of Folex and a lot of effort and... I remember once I got a mud splat on my foot paw and it it was about it was about two solid hours with about half a bottle of Folex and every washcloth in my house to get it back to being white. You know what you got to get? You got to get that spray they show on TV where they spray it onto clothing and it just repels all liquids. <laughs> I don't know if that would work. On <laughs> it, the wouldn't work. it probably wouldn't look so good. But yeah, that was a... A random idea. Um, I had a question for you. I think I already know the answer. The question was simply, has fursuiting ever helped you relax when you're feeling stressed? I feel like you, whenever you put on that costume, the stress goes away. So I'm going to go skip to the, the question we actually haven't heard an answer for yet. Has fursuiting ever stressed you out? Um, that's an interesting question. I Maybe I can think of a couple of times at conventions, maybe where it was like, I wasn't feeling it, but I'm like, I'm at a convention. I feel like I should just get into suit. And, uh, you know, maybe I didn't super want to, but it's like, this is what you do at the con. So maybe a couple of times when it's felt like a little more like an obligation than something I'm champing at the bit to do. And I think maybe the other the other time, it, it can be stressful in, in huge crowds. You know, we've suited at college football tailgates and it, it can be very easy to to worry that something is going to get out of hand, you know, in a crowd of of, of rowdy, drunk college people. You know, I've, I've seen a, a friend of mine start to really not have a good time anymore. And then it's it starts to be worried. You, you worry a little bit about getting 
crap all over your suit. So you got to kind of pull back a little bit and deal with it in that way. And, you know, perhaps late into a suiting excursion when you start to overheat a little bit and you realize you've still got, you know, 30 minutes till you're back to the car, that can be a little stressful. But I mean, these are little occasional things. And and by and large, it has been overwhelmingly a positive force in my life and something that brings me a heck of a lot more joy than it does stress. So the positive outweigh the negative, which is always great. Massively, yeah. So now for the big question, which we talked about at the beginning, but if we're throwing it back at the end, what are some misconceptions about people <laughs> who do fursuiting? Well, there, there is, I, I, this is sort of the elephant in the room and not a fursuit of an elephant, but the, the, the biggest one. And the, the biggest misconception is that it is an inherently fetishistic or sexual pursuit. I am, I'm not going to blow smoke up your ass. If there, there are elements of the furry fandom that can be um, adult, if that is what you are looking for. And that can be some people, some people's suits. Some people really do get some sort of prurient enjoyment out of their suits or have them modified in some way for that. But by and large, I have found that that is a significant minority, especially when it comes to the suits themselves. Um, you know, art and stories with adult themes are fairly popular in furry fandom. But to be honest, knocking boots in a giant, sweaty, uncomfortable carpet, I, I just, it's impractical. It's really, really expensive if you got the thing in any way dirty. And it just, it's not not as much of a thing as, as people think. Some Somewhere along the line, and perhaps that's just the, you know, the sex sells sort of thing. People really got the idea that this was about dressing up like squirrels to bump uglies. And by and large, it is absolutely not. That is, you know, there might be some people who are into that. I, I know there are some people who are into that. And obviously, I don't want to, you know, sound judgmental or sound judgy. People, you know, consenting adults can do absolutely whatever they want. And, and that's healthy and good. And I think an absolute positive thing for people to be able to express themselves in their relationships in that way uh, in private. So I have obviously no nothing. I don't think that's a bad thing at all. But as I've said, it it's the, the reality is that it doesn't generally reflect the majority of the fandom or the majority of its participants. But your average suitor that you see at a con does not have a suit that is equipped for that in any way. Mine certainly is not. And it has is no more particularly dirty than any other average adult you might encounter on the street. You know, it's it's unfortunate that let's say media portrays only one side of one aspect. And when there's a big aspect that doesn't touch that, but it's always the the minority that uh, is more shown than the majority of the, let's say, hobby or concept. The way I like to put it uh, when it comes to furry fandom is that you curate your own experience. If you, you know, are looking for some sort of depraved experience, you are absolutely going to find it. You will have your avenues. You, you will not have any trouble with that. But if you want to bring a child to a con and make it a family-friendly event, you are not going to see any of that by and large unless you know unless you run into some sort of bad actor but for the most part it can be pg or it can be x rated it all depends on what you actively seek out exactly what you bring to the table i completely completely understand and agree 
nobody who is in general, nobody who's looking for a PG experience is going to have adult elements forced on them. But I, I also, I, I don't want to tell a lie and tell you that there are no adult elements in the fandom. Sometimes some things can be adults and, you know, somebody could like writing adult stories, but be a completely clean fursuiter. It really, it comes down to what your own preferences are and how you curate your own experience, like I said. Mm -hmm. And for you, if you had to sum it up in a few words, what has fursuiting taught you in life? Um, that, let me think for a moment. Everything. It taught you everything. <laughs> uh, no, I, I think it, it, I would say that it has taught me that your average person on the street is more open and accepting to the quirky and the strange and the serendipitous than you might think. That, you know, and also that perhaps the internet is not necessarily a terrific barometer of public sentiment because, you know, if you scour the internet, you can find very strong bastions of of disgust, loathing, and contempt for our fandom. And, you know, people post photos of suitors out in public and say, oh my God, they're doing this horrible thing and everybody must be so disgusted with them and find be so creeped out and weirded out. But that's not my experience. As somebody who actually goes out into public and does this and, and interacts with people, I find that by and large, they just want to have fun and and they're generally embracing this bizarre, crazy thing that has come into their lives. So I think people are better in real life or at least um, play themselves off better than you might think from the internet. See, if I were to see you in real life, I'd run up to you and ask for a picture. <laughs> I just hope that you don't run away from me like Goku did. <laughs> I, I, don't, I yeah. don't think I look that scary. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe we'll get a chance someday. I appreciate that. Now, for people who might be interested in picking up this hobby, do you have any good word of advice for them? Well, um, I think the, the best place to start, honestly, it's a, it's a good, for furry fandom in general, it's good to get in just by meeting a few other people who are into it. Um, there are multiple networking sites for Affinity is the, the biggest one that is an art sharing and uh, most mostly an art sharing site, but also can be a bit of a networking site. Twitter is where we all hang out for sure. Furry Twitter is is a huge presence. And um, find a local meetup, you know. If, if you're interested, meet a couple of people and they can sort of start pointing you down the road. I wouldn't necessarily advise that anybody just sort of cold try to buy a fursuit. There are sites where you can do that and somebody might be into it, but you're generally talking about, you know, at least $1,000, perhaps a lot more in order to, to just get in like that. So, you know, or, or even just attend a local convention. There are conventions nationwide, worldwide even. There's one going on almost every single weekend somewhere in the United States. And a lot of them offer day passes. If you're interested in the general concept, if you've ever found that, you know, movies or stories, books that had cartoon animals spoke to you in that particular way or that you particularly appreciated that visual aesthetics, Stop in on a convention for a day. Go to a couple panels. Just watch the fursuits. I think you find it a pretty friendly adventure. Um, and that's basically how I started. I went to the local Midwest Fur Fest here in Chicagoland. 
I think 2000, December 2012 was my first. And that just sort of helped me start meeting people. I'd say that's a lot of people get in, you know, you kind of get into it slowly. You start by, you know, posting on a furry subreddit or stopping by a convention and you start to meet people and you can get a little bit dragged in. It It is kind of funny when you look back, you know, how, how far I've, I've gotten into it and how I have all these friends and this costume and these trips and everything that I do now and how it, it all just started with it all just sort of progressively spiraled into where I am now, but I have a lot of appreciation for it and I wouldn't change anything. Curiosity is key. And of course, like <laughs> in, this, curi in this case, curiosity created the cat. I like that. That was good. <laughs> it didn't kill it this time. No, no. Uh, but yeah, you're absolutely right. Do research. Don't just jump into it because you said it's very expensive. So do your research, join meetings, join subreddits, and there's a very friendly community. After talking to Ziggler, he's been so welcoming, so opening, and so informative. Like he, he opened up some doors to understand everything so whoever's listening can have a better grasp of it. And on that note, do you have any social media links or websites that you would like to share? Sure. Um, anybody who wants to follow my various scattered thoughts can find me at Ziggler Jaguar on Twitter. Uh, that's Z-E-I-G-L-E-R Jaguar. One more time, Z-E-I-G-L-E-R Jaguar on Twitter. It's the best place to find me. Perfect. I will put all that information below so people can qu uh, click it and follow you on Twitter. And they're welcome to send you messages, correct? Absolutely. Send me a tweet if you've heard this and appreciated it. If you have any more questions as you know, I hope you've heard. I, I really enjoy talking about this. I think it's a wonderful hobby that is is severely misunderstood. And I always like the chance to hopefully shine a little more light on why it's great for a lot of us who participate in it. I understand that it's weird. I'm not somebody who's going to be extremely defensive and try to tell you that this is the most normal thing on the planet. It is definitely outré, but... I, I often find that once I've had a chance to talk to people about why it means something to me, they can generally be, even if they say, you know, well, I would never do this, it, it, mean, it, it at least feels a little bit more understandable to them, uh, at least intellectually. And I think that's, I imagine that's sort of a big part of your podcast and kind of why I'm glad this podcast exists. Hey, there we go. Yeah. And of course, there's no such thing as normal nowadays. No one is normal. Everybody's unique and special. No matter what you do, where you're from, who you are. I, I like that mantra. <laughs> now to put you in my seat, you get the chance oh. to interview me for one question. Do you have any questions for me about fursuiting? I absolutely do. I absolutely do, Alex. If you were to be a fursuiter, what animal would you be? You know what? Since the beginning of this podcast, I, was th I knew that was the question. <laughs> I prepared myself mentally for this. Uh, growing up, my favorite animal was a cheetah. Amazing. Uh, I've got a couple of cheetah friends. It's pretty, it's great. Uh, they're really great with the tear streaks down the, uh, down the nose and just, just a beautiful cat. I'm a little, I'm a little biased obviously because I love <laughs> spotted cats, but uh, yeah, cheetahs, cheetahs are really cool. Cheetah fursuits are really cool. Cheetah for furry characters, fursonas that they call your, your furry character. 
are, are very cool. So that's a great pick, Alex. Uh, if, if, if you ever decide to join us in the fandom, I'm sure you could design yourself a super cool cheetah character. I feel like I had to be really, really fast. Like just <laughs> practicing yeah, yeah. fast in the outfit. Actually, a side note, um, back in my high school, because you know how high schools have mascots? Yeah. My school mascot was a frog. And back in the days, Ooh. it was like just a very, like a fluffy, like an old raggedy like outfit and then <laughs> the head. But then in my last year of high school, they changed the mascot and they updated it. The head looked great. And then the body looked like they added steroids. He <laughs> had a bunch oh, like of a, muscles. Like you could like see a the bike. jacked up frog. Yeah, yeah. Like it was from like a like a like a onesie pajama before to now like a a spandex jacked up muscled up frog. It was like really weird. I'm like, okay, wow. He's been hitting the gym a lot. <laughs> that's that's the experience of of updating your character i suppose you know get getting a new suit and updating your character a little bit we, we see that certainly in the fandom as well all the time i gotta learn his diet and workout routine i gotta just apply that <laughs> to my life there are uh inserts and such as i've said you know suits can be very customizable some people put foam padding in to add some sort of you know extra muscular look as well so you know it's it's the it's the foam workout routine <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So that's one frog I will not mess with. Do not mess with the frog. So yeah, there you have it. Another body with a hobby. Thank you so much, Ziggler, for coming on the show and talking about your hobby and expanding my mind and hopefully expanding the mind of my listeners as well. If you want to learn more about him, you can listen to this podcast again and even even follow him on Twitter. Ask him questions. He's a very, very friendly person, very open. And if you would like to be on my podcast, you can send me an email at timeforyourhobby at gmail.com. And of course, if you think this episode is going to be helpful for anybody, by all means, share with them because maybe putting on a, being a fursuiter will be something that will help them in their lives and find joy and actually even putting joy in other people. So actually, thank you so much again, Ziggler, for coming on. Alex, thanks so much for having me. This has been a blast. Time really did fly by. Absolutely. So until the next episode, make some time for your hobby. Take care.